When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, the show we've been waiting three weeks to do. The Seahawks finally get their man today, and specifically John Schneider gets his man. Ravens defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, now the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. I'll have national reaction to it. I reached out to a former player and Seahawks broadcaster, got his reaction to it. I'll give you my reaction, tell you what I think it means, and where the team goes from here. Big day in Seahawks land we're going to talk about it next on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viens. The day is finally here. Uh, when I woke up this morning, I was in Arizona, and Mike McDonald was not yet the head coach at Seattle, although there were... Um, well, there was some buzz late last night after the Seahawks flew to Baltimore to interview him, that he might be on his way here. And then early this morning, reports that he was coming in for an interview. Then there was some also some buzz, some rumors kind of under the radar on social media that he was already here, that he had flown in, that his family was with him, that the deal was going to get done today. And I was, I almost timed it perfectly. About a half an hour before my plane landed at SeaTac, um, the news became official by just about every national reporter out there. A six-year deal for Mike McDonald, now the youngest head coach in the NFL, and by a wide margin, 16 months younger than Gerard Mayo, the new coach in New England, and precisely half the age of his predecessor, Pete Carroll. We go from the oldest coach in the league to the youngest. We're going to talk about it from just about every angle we can today. Before we do that, hit that like button if you would on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Lots of new subscribers over the last month. Lots of growth on the channel. Welcome to all of you new viewers. Hit that bell button as well so you get notification of future episodes. And if you prefer audio podcasts, you can find Seahawks Forever everywhere. If you want to listen to it without ads, you can subscribe on Spotify for just 99 cents a month. I'll put that link in the description. And if you just want to support me and the show, you can buy me a coffee or a beer. I'll put that link down below as well. Well, let's talk about Mike McDonald, shall we? You know, this was a long process. And we talked a lot throughout this process uh, with some of the guests that I had on here, in particular Seaside Joe. We talked a lot about how this was uh, new ground for the Seahawks because Pete Carroll's tenure here sort of encompassed um, a, a long period of uh, change in the way the NFL goes about allowing interviews and and changes and restrictions and rules placed on the coaching search. The Seahawks had never had to go through that. When Paul Allen wanted to hire Pete Carroll 14 years ago, he just went out and hired him. Um, although the Rooney rule was in place then, but they did like kind of a sham of a quick interview with Leslie Frazier, I believe it was at the time, to to satisfy that. Those rules are much more stringent now. Um, you know, when they wanted Mike Holmgren, they just went out and got Mike Holmgren. I mean, that that was 
They've never had to go through this process. And when John Schneider spoke to us two weeks ago for the first time after Pete Carroll was let go, he talked about how excited he was to get into the process, to learn some things from the process. First time going through it. He said he was prepared when he was interviewing to be general manager of the Seahawks back in 2010 to hire his own coach. And he was named as one of three finalists for the job before Pete Carroll was hired. And then Pete Carroll being the, the man he was with the resume he was and, and demanded certain structure. And that included final say and things. And he essentially then chose John Schneider. So Schneider kind of sort of half jokingly at his press conference said he had to tear those 36 pages of coaching notes out of his book and throw them away. Uh, but, but I could sense a little bit of pride there as well, that he's been waiting for this and, he, and he's wanted this opportunity and he wasn't going to mess it up. And, and also, you know, we can talk about how important this was for him. And we will a little bit later in the show that, you know, it's his first time to do it, but it could be his last too, if he doesn't get it right. Especially with rumors of, you know, within the next few years, Seahawks may be for sale. Obviously the front office now placing great importance on winning. They weren't satisfied with back-to-back nine-win seasons to, and, and decided to move on from a legendary figure as their head coach. So the pressure was on. Pressure was on John Schneider. Um, and he knew it, you know. I, I've heard from a, a pretty connected source that one of the things talked about in those meetings at the end of the year before the decision was made with Carroll was that ownership and the powers that be offered him another year under his terms because he was promising he could fix things. But with the caveat that essentially then it was all or nothing, that if if there wasn't great progress and, and if 2024 wasn't a fruitful season, that they would clean house and Pete and John would both go, at which point he backed off a little bit on his demands and, and ultimately agreed to step aside because, or, or, or let them fire him, <laughs> I guess, if you want to put it that way, is he still technically has the title of analyst, we're being told, in the organization. Um, but he really, he really did want his longtime partner, John Schneider, to get a shot. Uh, some, some other interesting reports that came out two days ago that I thought kind of flew under the radar. Um, now I can't remember. There's been so much. It was either Pelissaro or Brady Henderson that halfway through the season, Pete Carroll told the administration of the Seattle Seahawks, it told the higher ups that he was considering retirement. But then by the end of the year, he was feeling energized again and really wanted to stay. Well, I think I, uh, that was interesting to me because I think I think some wheels were set in motion there much earlier. And so it's led us to this, and Schneider took his time. And I know it was frustrating for you as fans. It was frustrating for me sometimes. You, know, you wake up every day and you check Twitter, hoping for some sort of news. Some segment of the fan base was nervous that he was going to make a quick hire, a knee-jerk hire. Obviously, all the early sentiment after Carol was let go was that Dan Quinn was a heavy favorite. And a lot of, a lot of fan base didn't like that idea. Wanted a fresh break, wanted fresh ideas, and, and to go with someone probably younger, but not from the Carroll coaching tree. And, and, and that segment of the fan base was worried that, that the Seahawks were just going to hire Dan Quinn. And he got two interviews. 
And so did a bunch of other guys. Ultimately, Mike McDonald was the guy. And and what what's really interesting to me about this is I think it it kind of points out um you know, the idea of or or amplifies the idea of of recency bias and and how hungry we all are to we just want to know right now and we want confirmation. The first name, or really one of the first names that came out in this coaching search was Mike McDonald. There was the report the day after Pete Carroll was let go by Ian Rappaport that the Seahawks want to speak to Dan Quinn and Mike McDonald. And then we never saw an official request. And, and it took a while for the facts to kind of come out and, and catch up to where the narrative was that, yeah, there, there wasn't an official request to interview him because they, they missed that window because of the rules and how they applied to teams that were in the number one seed and had a buy, and because the Seahawks waited until Wednesday to make the move with Carroll, they, they couldn't get their first interview request in on time. So in the meantime, Schneider went about his process, but it sure seems like in hindsight now that he was never going to make a decision until he got a chance to talk to McDonald. That there, this morning there were reports that Schneider, as tied in as he is around the league, was very in tune with how well McDonald was doing in interviews. He was highly sought after, interviewed for six of the eight open head coaching jobs this offseason. And word started to get back to him. Schneider learned and was getting some of that feedback that McDonald was killing it in interviews. And I have a quote about that here in a little bit when I talk about some of the reaction to this hire. And that he had decided at some point during this process that that McDonald was going to be involved in this, even if it meant waiting until after the season was over, which could have been the Super Bowl. And then it was reported last week, I think it was Adam Schefter. Man, it's hard to keep it all, you know, all this straight with all the reporting that's been done the last week or so, um, who came out before the championship games on Sunday and reported that the Seahawks were going to wait to talk to Mike McDonald, even if that meant they won on Sunday and went to the Super Bowl and they couldn't, they couldn't touch him till then. And then the way the rest of the coaching search played out, it played perfectly into their hands because most organizations don't want to take their time. They want to hire their guy. They want to know who it is now because there's things to get on with. Got to fill out a staff. We got to make plans. We got to start getting ready for the draft. The senior bowl is this week. The shrine bowl is this week. The combine's coming up in three or four weeks. There's work to be done. But by Playing the slow game, Schneider essentially ended up at the end of this process where there were just two teams standing, they and the commanders, and every single candidate that they were interested in was still available as of Monday morning, except for Raheem Morris, who was scheduled for a second interview but ended up taking the job in Atlanta before he had that chance. And then they had to compete, presumably, with the Washington commanders who it had been reported for weeks, were zeroed in on Ben Johnson. He was their favorite. And the Seahawks were going to have to do some work if they wanted to pry him away. Well, both teams interviewed Johnson on Monday for a second time. And then Johnson comes out Monday night and says, I'm staying with the Lions. And now we've seen some reporting that that apparently his... There does seem like there was a desire for him to go back one more year at least with Detroit and try to finish some unfinished business. They return a tremendous 
amount of their two deep depth chart the Lions do next year. They they have cap space. They they can get back there again and try to win that Super Bowl after the disappointment in the NFC Championship game. But also some reports that his asking price was very high and it scared off some teams. And not necessarily maybe just the money. Diana Rossini reported months ago that he wanted $15 million a year, which just for context was more than Pete Carroll was making. I think it would be the richest coaching contract in NFL history. But I suspect asking price also meant that as a first-time head coach, he still has designs on having some control and final say on rosters and things like that that a lot of GMs uh, aren't willing to give up, especially to a first-time head coach. Certainly John Schneider's not willing to give that up this time around after waiting 14 years to finally get it, right? So all of that led to them finally getting a chance to talk to him last night. And obviously that went well because then they brought him out here today. And he is, if he hasn't signed on the dotted line, it's happening soon. A six-year deal, it's reported. I do not know the financial terms. At one point, uh, it sounded like we were going to have a press conference today, but now I don't think we are. It's 1.42 Pacific time as I record this. There's been no announcement by the Seahawks. Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune had said earlier today that a press conference is expected soon. He, uh, I actually asked him on Twitter and he got back to me that um, he didn't mean by that at the time. He thought there'd be a press conference today. But due to the fact that it's now early afternoon and, and those outlets have not been given notice, we're probably looking at tomorrow. I thought it might happen today because John Schneider certainly, and probably Mike McDonald with them. I mean, talk about a whirlwind week. They they probably want to get down to Mobile for the Senior Bowl, at least for the game itself, if they can't make it for, uh, I think, the, the last round of practices tomorrow. But, you know, priorities, right? Got to take care of your head coach. Let's talk about Mike McDonald. As I said, 36 years old, he'll turn 37 before the season starts, I think in June. Uh, started out at the, in the college ranks, three years coaching at the University of Georgia, and then the, uh, the Ravens hired him in 2014 as an intern, and he worked his way up. Did it the old-fashioned way. A lot of these other candidates that were in play really jumped around a lot. A lot. But ever since signing on with the Ravens in 2014, McDonald stayed there uh, with one exception that we'll touch on and worked his way up, started out as an intern, worked up to linebackers coach. Then he left in 2021 to go work for John Harbaugh's brother, Jim, at the University of Michigan, one year's defensive coordinator there. And then the Ravens decided to move on from Wink Martindale and he comes back to the Ravens the next year as their defensive coordinator in 2022-2023. In 2022, he inherited a defense. This is why Martindale was let go. He inherited a defense that was 28th in DVOA. By comparison, the Seahawks this year, 28th in DVOA out of 32 teams. By their second year in 2023, uh, well, 2022, they made some, some solid improvement this year, 2023, first defense in NFL history to lead the NFL in sacks, takeaways, and points allowed. First team ever to do that. Sacks, takeaways, points allowed. Sixth in yards per game, 14th in rushing yards per game, sixth in passing yards per game. What's remarkable about the sack numbers is 
they do it with some workmanlike guys. I mean, Justin Matabuike on the interior had a huge breakout year this year at the age of 26, but they don't have a lot of flashy, highly drafted first round edge players. You know, he brought Jadevian Clowney back to Baltimore this year and got a got the best year out of him he's had in quite a while on just kind of a one-year free agent deal. Uh, during uh, another thing that had to appeal to him, uh, to the Seahawks, not just the fact that he absolutely led his defense to an annihilation of the Seahawks offense when they played each other. Certainly, we remember that game, don't we? Uh, but he went 4-0 against the NFC West, and they weren't all dominating performances. Did give up 31 points to the Rams on December 10th, but if you remember that game, it was in Baltimore. It was a torrential downpour. And uh, Matt Stafford had a nice day, threw for almost 300 yards and three touchdowns. Typically, really, really rough, rainy conditions like that favor the offense, harder for the defense to, to react. Um, and then on Christmas Day in Santa Clara, playing the 49ers, held the 49ers offense to 19 points. And that's during a time when the 49ers were really, really rolling. I mean, Christian McCaffrey had 104 yards in that game, but Brock Purdy was harassed the entire game through four interceptions, a couple of them of, the, of just the really bad variety. It was Purdy's worst game of the year. Certainly Seahawks had to take notice of that. Also in October, they faced the Detroit Lions and absolutely throttled them. It was a 38-6 to win, held the Lions and that vaunted offense to 253 total yards. Even in their playoff loss, the Chiefs jumped out to the lead, scored 17 in the first half. Patrick Mahomes played a really efficient half. And then he made some adjustments and shut him down. Gave up zero points in the second half to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. How does he do it? He's known for keeping things simple, but dynamic, if that makes sense. So rather than, um, as, as I was starting to say, what's remarkable about his uh, the sack numbers, the fact they led the NFL in sacks, is not just that they don't have a lot of big-name guys up there, but they don't blitz a lot. Doesn't send a lot of extra rushers. In fact, a lot of those metrics, very similar to the Seahawks as far as how often they send a fifth or sixth rusher. And he plays a similar kind of 3-4 hybrid, from what I understand. But what he's known for is being a tactician and scheming and game planning. Adapting and adjusting his scheme to his players. Putting them in a position to succeed and thus getting the most out of them. He's known for being unpredictable, disguising things. So he'll, he'll usually rush with four but you don't know where those four are going to come from, from what I understand. And from what I've learned about his scheme and seen some, some film clips, he'll, he'll, he'll replace rushers. It was a, a great shot of a play against the Chiefs where the nose tackle was lined up over the center, Creed Humphreys. And, and then when Humphreys looked back between his legs uh, to get the signal from Mahomes, uh, as he's looking back, the nose tackle jumps out of the way and the linebacker replaces him standing up. And Humphreys had no chance. The linebacker was able to penetrate. Uh, just little things like that. Things that we didn't see from the Seahawks. You know, Pete Carroll was, was one of the things we didn't like about him at the end, right? One of the biggest complaints. He's a little bit stubborn, set in his ways, 
in the sense that even though he adapted his scheme the last two years in some technical ways, not a lot of exotic blitzes, didn't disguise a lot of things, really believed in playing, doing what we do, but just trying to do it well. Well, they weren't doing it as well. And McDonald's teams have shown at Michigan in the last two years in Baltimore to be very disciplined, to be in the right place. They play hard. They tackle well. They rally to the ball. They get takeovers or, or turnovers. You know, they take the ball away. Uh, Maddie Brown, who uh, uh, we've kind of been going back and forth, is going to be on the show with me uh, sometime soon. Again, of the Overload podcast, does such a great job of 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 uh, analyzing defenses and schemes and and uh, and assignments and and discipline. And he says that what McDonald does should fit the personnel on hand in Seattle pretty well. And that's now that's presuming that they're either able to bring back Jordan Brooks and Leonard Williams or replace them with suitable players. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but that they just need to add a little bit of size and length to the edge group. Uh, cause he likes those big, more physical kind of three, four ends a la Jadevian Clowney. So, Interesting little tie-in here. I wonder what Mike McDonald thinks of Mike Morris. Talk about size and length, 6'6", 305 pounds. Missed his rookie year after that shoulder surgery, but showed some things in preseason. Do you see the connection? Mike Morris played at Michigan when uh, Mike McDonald was the defensive coordinator there two years ago. Uh, Mike Morris played. He wasn't a starter. That was Aiden Hutchinson's last year before being... um, a top pick in the draft, uh, but he played in all 14 games for the Wolverines. And it'd be interesting to know how, uh, what Mike Mon- McDonald thinks of Mike Morris. Uh, as I said, he was, this move has been universally praised. You know, this is like the coaching equivalent of nailing your draft and having all the draft grades BA, right? National pundits are just standing up and clapping about this one. Uh, Mike Garofolo said, uh, he's down in Mobile. He said, so many people here at the Senior Bowl have positive things to say about Mike McDonald. Um, Around the league, this will be viewed as a home run hire by the Seahawks. Um, Kyle Hamilton, his Pro Bowl safety who he used uh, so effectively and in, in, in such an interesting way this year after some people were calling Hamilton a, a first round bust a couple of years ago. And then McDonald basically started playing him a lot in the slot, kind of that hybrid position makes you wonder who he might have his eye on for that position with the Seahawks. Is it Julian Love or is it Devin Witherspoon, right? Or would he prefer to have Witherspoon on the outside full time now as more of a lockdown corner like he had, oh, who's the guy he had in Baltimore, Marlon Humphrey. Um, really going to be interesting. We're going to talk a lot more about what he's going to do schematically and with personnel as we move forward, but just interested to, to see what he's going to do there. Uh, but Hamilton said uh, at the Pro Bowl today, after the announcement was made, said uh, McDonald was really cerebral and the smartest guy in the building. Uh, Ian Rappaport reporting that those he talked to who were involved in some of the coaching searches, and this this is what I touched on earlier, and this got back to Schneider early in the process. They raved about him, uh, said one coach who was involved in one of these coaching searches, this was the best interview we had by far. 
And then another coach described McDonald to him as the defensive Sean McVay. Um, Derek Clausen of the 33rd team said, Mike McDonald is as qualified and exciting a coaching prospect as there is anywhere on the market. And then I reached out as I was waiting for my plane to take off today. I reached out to Paul Moyer. He's been on the show before, former Seahawks legend and coach, and now has been for a long time part of the Seahawks radio broadcast team. And uh, here is what Paul texted back to me about Mike McDonald. It hadn't become official at this point, but it sure looked like it was trending in that direction. And so I asked him his thoughts. He says, absolute stud communication skills are off the charts. He's as smart as you're going to get. I'm not going to call him a genius because I don't think there are geniuses in football, but being able to communicate things and simplify them is what makes a great coach. On top of that, he has that it factor. Go watch his press conferences. He's just in command. Uh, I would recommend that you do go watch his press conferences. Um, although presumably tomorrow we will have one of him uh, in a Seahawks shirt of some kind, probably, <laughs> or maybe a suit and tie. Um, really exciting stuff there from Paul KJ Wright raved about him today. Everything he knew about him. Um, there really is very little pushback. Now there are always going to be doubters and, and I have, there's, there are some fans on social media that I've seen that aren't sold on the mood that move and not that they necessarily think that McDonald wasn't a great candidate. Although some have said that, but uh, that they wanted to go offense. I think some of the fan base really wanted to see that head coach be an offensive mind so that we could kind of get into that, uh, that realm that's, that's the rest of the league has had so much success with and, and some of the league with uh, the young offensive minds and then take a young quarterback at some point in the next year to develop him and not, not have to worry about your offensive coordinator leaving every couple of years in the event that you have a defensive minded head coach. What I'll say to that is simply this. If the Seahawks offensive coordinator is getting poached every year or two, that means we're kicking ass, right? I mean, isn't that a good problem to have? It means He's doing a good, a good enough job to uh, to get looks, which means the offense is explosive and dynamic, and they're winning big games and doing it against good defenses, right? And then there's another aspect to this. I'm in one of the first things I tweeted after it was official or, or, or appeared that it was going to be, even before it was re reported as a done deal. I am beyond impressed with how John Schneider conducted himself throughout this entire process. First time making a big decision, his first act as a GM unencumbered by someone who can overrule him in the football operations staff. Because Pete Carroll had final say on personnel decisions. His first chance of doing this. And as we touched on earlier, maybe his last chance if he doesn't get it right. And I thought he went about this absolutely the right way. He never wavered. He never panicked. He never felt any kind of a rush. It reminded me of how he approaches the draft. And he, he always has a plan. He's always thinking two or three steps ahead. And I, I feel like he approached this the same way. He identified guys that 
through his contacts in the league he thought would be good candidates. He dug into them, took a good hard look. It it seems to me that he was very intentional about not making a knee-jerk decision, about being objective and unbiased and opening his eyes to all possibilities. Kind of like he talked about in the press conference about how excited he was to learn things. I think that's, that's the right way to do this. I think a lot of GMs and owners head into these coaches' searches with blinders on. There's just one thing or one person sometimes that they want, and they can't be convinced otherwise. I'm not saying Mike McDonald was the guy from day one. I'm saying it's pretty clear now that Schneider wanted to talk to him before he made a decision. But I think if Patrick Graham or Mike Kafka or even Dan Quinn had convinced him that he was the guy to lead this team to the next level, convinced him to the point that even after he interviewed Mike McDonald the last couple of days, he still felt like that was the best guy. He would have gone with the other candidate. And I know a lot of you are happy that it wasn't Dan Quinn because you wanted a clean break from the Carroll tree. I think Dan Quinn would have been a fine head coach. Haven't heard anything official out of Washington today. He might get the job there. I kind of feel like he deserves, there were eight coaches spots open, eight head coaching jobs in the league this year. You can say what you want about bad playoff game and, that guy deserves another head coaching job in this league. Uh, I'd like to see him get it with Washington, to be honest. Uh, but but John really did his due diligence on this. And, you know, that shows in the range of candidates he talked about, you know, defensive guys, offensive guys, guys that hadn't even called plays yet, guys that he had connections with, guys he didn't. You know, he talked to people that had you know, relationships with Andy Reid, that there's the Mike Kafka influence right there, right? Um, he talked to guys from the Shanahan coaching tree and Slowick and Smith. But then he talked to guys like Patrick Graham, who he had no former association with. Ajiro Aviro, he had the Scott Fitterer connection. Really like the way he went about this. Uh, that's exciting to me. And then look at the way it worked out. He did such a good job of identifying his field and reading the room. And again, much in like the way that he goes about the draft where he just has such a good idea about what the rest of the league's going to do that he didn't rush it. And yet at the end of the day, it was him, the commanders, and every single candidate that they were interested in except one was left on the board. That's pretty cool. My personal thoughts on this is, I mean, if you watch the show, you saw my show last Saturday, was it? Sunday? Um, where I made my official prediction where I just, you know, after connecting the dots, I just woke up that day with a strong gut feeling it was going to be Mike McDonald. Also got a little bit of intel, um, kind of secondhand information from from a former NFL executive and and what he felt like the trend he felt like that the search was going in. Um, just, you know, re reading the tea leaves and connecting the dots. And it just felt like he was the guy I started to get, as we got into the process, started to get less and less enamored with Ben Johnson. Um, it's just fascinating to me that he announced he's staying with the lions. 
And it'll be interesting if we find out whether or not the commanders actually ever made an offer. Maybe they never did. And maybe it was a case of, hey, why don't I uh, withdraw from consideration because I'm not going to get either one of these jobs. Because that other secondhand source a week ago also intimated to me, and I think I tweeted this out a couple of days ago, uh, don't that he said something along the lines of, don't be shocked if Ben Johnson doesn't get a job this cycle. I think it's, it's reasonable based on all of this feedback that I've read to you here today that the Seahawks may have, may have landed the best coaching candidate in this cycle. And they were one of the last ones to hire him. Uh, it's, it's exciting. Now, it's kind of scary too. The unknown, it's alluring, it's romantic, but it's scary as you know what. Because two years ago, two years ago or three years ago, Brandon Staley was Mike McDonald, right? Won a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator with the Rams. Everybody wanted to hire him, had a million interviews, chose the Chargers job, had, a, had his pick of jobs, killed his press conference. Everybody in that fan base was excited and he was a disaster. Disaster. Just didn't know how to manage people, communicate with people. Now, from the things we hear about Mike McDonald, I'm not saying there's a chance he's going to be Brandon Staley because his strengths seem to be, from all accounts, communication, working with guys, gaining guys' trust getting the best out of them. But my point is just that home run hires don't always turn out to be home run hires. And a lot of this is going to depend on, on the staff he's able to put together as a first-time head coach. And it's late in the process. Sometimes that's the biggest question. Like, okay, now you decided to, to hire the defensive head coach. Who's going to run the offense? How are you going to get the most out of all those skill position players that the Seahawks have? And then that, that leads into what are we going to do about quarterback? And those conversations are going to be had over the next couple of weeks. We'll get to that soon. But who's the offensive coordinator going to be? And is it is it someone Mike McDonald wants to bring with him? And that, that when he came into these interviews, as most head coaching candidates that that do well in these interviews do, they, they show up with a plan. Here's my coaching staff. When you look at the Ravens roster of coaches, some teams you see, you see three or four guys. Case in point, if you look at the Ravens defensive coaching staff, assistant head coach, defensive line coach, Anthony Weaver, defensive backs coach, Denard Wilson, inside linebackers coach, Zachary Orr, defensive pass game coordinator, Chris Hewitt, all four of those guys got defensive coordinator interviews with other teams this offseason. The offensive coaching staff isn't as similarly loaded. Todd Munkin, Monken is the offensive coordinator there. I think he got one head coaching interview, did he not? Was it Carolina or Atlanta? But the rest of his staff really hasn't gotten a look. There is one, though. And so I'm just going to say this about the OC thing today, and then we're going to dig into this a lot deeper in the coming days. T. Martin, remember that name? 
he was Peyton Manning's backup at the University of Tennessee for a couple of years. And then when Manning left for the NFL as the first overall pick, Martin won the national title with the Vols. Uh, and then he went mostly the, co- the college coaching route, spent seven years on the USC staff, including three seasons as their offensive coordinator. Then he moved on to the Titans and he had actually had the assistant head coach title and he coached wide receivers there. And then uh, was the wide receiver coach. Um, or Then he moved on to Baltimore and he's coached wide receivers there from 21 to 22. And this year he was a quarterback coach. Lots of experience, a lot more experience than some of these other guys that have gotten offensive coordinator jobs this offseason, like Zach Robinson. So could it just be that simple that T. Martin's a guy and he brings him with him? Or is it one of the guys the Seahawks have talked to? Lots of speculation out there that, in fact, last night after the first McDonald interview, there were these late kind of leaks little buzzy buzz from the national NFL media that, hey, Mike Kafka still in the running in Seattle. It might not be McDonald or bust. Is it possible to lure Mike Kafka away from the Giants? There was some headbutting reportedly between he and Dable uh, the last year or two and that Dable really, you know, would wrestle play calling away from him, sometimes during games if it wasn't going well that Dayball may want to take play calling back. He's cleaned house there on his staff. That he may be willing to release Kafka to go elsewhere because that's just not a perfect situation there. Or that the Seahawks might be willing to give Kafka an assistant head coaching title, in which case I believe they'd be able to hire him even though he's under contract. Or how about kind of a, kind of an under the radar dark horse in Frank Smith? There was a lot of buzz about him, the offensive coordinator in Miami under Mike McDaniels, but who does not call plays. He he got an interview with the Seahawks, not a second interview. But maybe that was a fact-finding mission. I think all they would have to do to pry him away from the Dolphins would be to offer him play-calling duties. I think that's how that works. Uh, but we'll get into that. And we may, we may know more tomorrow, right? These decisions may have been part of the negotiation process. They may have been things that John's been working on parallel to the head coaching search over the last couple of weeks where he's able to say, hey, Mike, I've got some, some options here. Right? Another interesting one is Andy Dickerson, really the only coach from that offensive staff that hasn't followed Shane Waldron to Chicago or taken a job elsewhere. He was the offensive line coach last year. Maybe was he the run game coordinator as well? And there are some still some other intriguing offensive coordinator candidates out there as well. But I think we'll find out a lot more about that. That's where some of the reporting will turn to. Some leaks will happen. We'll start to get um, maybe even some interview reporting done over the next couple of days um, in regards to offensive coordinator. So much to get to. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, If you're listening to this, on Wednesday, uh, I do plan to do a live tonight so we can just do some some Q&A, get your thoughts and your comments and your feedback and your questions, and let's talk about how we feel about this next era of Seattle Seahawks under Mike McDonald, 36-year-old Mike McDonald. Um, <laughs> lots of exciting stuff happening over the next couple of weeks. And now that this is finally resolved... Fill out the staff, Senior Bowl, Shrine Game, 
combine, draft, free, it's all going to be upon us so quickly. So many questions now about personnel now that we know the coach is in place. We'll get to all that. I'll get uh, I join me tomorrow as well on the show. Solomon Wilcox, former uh, play-by-play announcer for CBS, um, longtime player in the NFL. He's going to join me on the show. We'll get uh, kind of a national perspective on what he feels about the the McDonald hire and the potential of the, the Seahawks organization here, what he sees from that roster. And then, uh, you know, all the stuff. We'll talk about all the things over the next couple of weeks in regards to the coaching staff and what this team might look like moving forward. Again, like and subscribe to the video, the audio channels, every different way that you can get uh, this podcast. And um, follow me on Twitter, at Seahawks Forever. That's kind of the easiest way. That's home base for me. Anything I do here, I'll let you know about it there, as well as just some other random opinions throughout each day. Some good, some not so good. Certainly, I'm sure you'll let me know what you think (laughs) as things go along. Uh, My voice has about had it. Um, I'm going to take a little break mentally and, uh, and get this thing uploaded for you. But thanks for, thanks for watching and listening and uh, join me on the live show tonight. If you have a chance to until next time forever and always go Hawks.